0: invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. Leviticus, chapter 8, you'll notice that we are skipping over chapter 7, since it is a summary of uh, all that we have studied up to this point. It's a summary of the laws concerning the various sacrifices. And so we're going to Leviticus, chapter 8, where Aaron uh, and his sons are installed as as high priests. If you have your Bible, uh, you might just turn back uh, 20 pages maybe or so uh, to Exodus 29... And let me just point this out to you quickly, Exodus chapter 29. So, the God uh, Exodus 29 is God's specific commands concerning how Aaron and his sons are to be uh, consecrated and installed as high priests. And if you would read Exodus 29 and then read Leve- Leviticus 8, you'll see that Leviticus 8 is exactly what God commanded in uh, Exodus chapter 29. So this is what we're reading now is the the fulfillment of what God had commanded Moses. And as we read through chapter 8, you'll notice those words popping up, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded him. And uh, it's referring there to Exodus chapter 29. So let's give our attention then to Leviticus chapter 8. And we'll read the chapter in its entirety. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him, and tied the sash around his waist, and clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him, and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breast piece on him, and in the breast piece he put the urim and the thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses." Then Moses took the anointing oil and and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And he killed it, and Moses took the blood, and with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the side of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head with the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons. And Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet." And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments And his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is on the basket of ordination offering, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and of the bread, bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meetings for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed for it will take seven days to ordain you. As it has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die, for so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we have just come to a text today that is full of uh, such good things, and uh, yet, Lord, um, we need Your Holy Spirit to understand it. And so, we pray You would You would give it, uh, give us that blessed Spirit now, and we we'll give You the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm I'm excited about the text this morning because it's a text about identity, and identity is one of the most uh, transformative powers uh, in your life. The reality is that uh, we live. Um, or are molded. Our lives are molded very much along the lines of our self-perception. How you think of yourself uh, has an incredible influence upon how you actually live your life. I want you to imagine that you worked in a large factory on the assembly line. Maybe a GE factory, you're, uh, you're punching out dishwashers or something like that. And you have a very menial task on the assembly line. It requires very little of you. Uh, and day in, day out, you just show up in your blue jeans and t-shirt and sneakers and you, you do your job. Well, what would happen if tomorrow morning, when you uh, went into work, uh, quite uh, suddenly and very unexpectedly, um, the, uh, some people came and uh, said, "You've just been promoted to uh, the office of CEO." And um, you thought it was a joke, but they, they took you up to the, the top floor and showed you this gorgeous new office overlooking the city, and um, they they laid out the new salary, and it was it was stunning. Uh, they, uh, your, your new secretary came in with a frappuccino just, to, just like uh, you like them and asked if there was anything else that she could do for you. And then the chairman of the board sat you down and explained why they had hired you and chosen you, uh, expressed deep confidence uh, in your abilities and explained your new responsibilities. And then he left the room. <clears throat> and the truth sunk in, you actually were the new CEO of General Electric. Well how would that affect be your behavior? After the, the brief panic, I suppose, but, but how would that affect your life? Would you go to work the next day dressed the same way? You would not. You would not show up in t-shirt and blue jeans um, and sneakers. You, you, you would come dressed more appropriately for your office. Uh, you, would, you would prepare for work differently. You'd be, you'd be thinking about the job at, at home and, and planning for the day ahead. <clears throat> you would see yourself differently. You're not just a normal Joe on the assembly line at GE. You're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, That's going to affect the way you think about yourself and and about your approach to work. You're going to show uh, a different diligence and devotion. Uh, The the job demands a certain respect and integrity. Your new identity would change your life. Well, uh, the gospel, friends, is the incredible story of God coming to us when we were stuck on the assembly line of a wasted life. We were dead in our sin, alienated from God, without hope in the world. And that's where we were stuck. But God miraculously intervenes and has exalted us in Christ to a brand new position, children of God, brand new status, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, brand new wealth where we are made heirs of everlasting life with our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has explained to us in his word our new responsibilities as the children of God. We're not to live in the world like people who are on the assembly line of a wasted life. We're to live in the world as the priests of God. As as people who have an eternal significance. And as we grasp that reality, it will change and transform our life. Now you might be thinking, well what does that have to do with the text? I'm glad you asked uh, let's let's go to it um, first we're gonna explain the context as we've said before the book of Leviticus has very few stories in it however it is it happens in the middle of a story and we have to understand that story in order to appreciate what we're reading uh, our text this morning is about the calling and the ordination service for Aaron and his sons Aaron's gonna be the high priest his sons are, are called to serve uh, with him. We need to understand that office because it is, it is more significant than any CEO in the world. Uh, in fact, the, this calling, this office of high priest is the most important calling in the whole world in that day. And the reason is because uh, the high priest was called by God to be the intermediary between uh, this thrice holy God and very sinful Israel. The, the, the office of high priest is critical. Israel's existence as the people of God, in the presence of God, with God in their midst, their existence depends on this office. Someone has to um, off, offer the necessary sacrifices. Someone has to offer prayers on Israel's behalf. Someone has to represent Israel and go into the Holy of Holies once a year to meet with God. And that person clearly has to be acceptable to God so that God would receive the sacrifices and forgive the sins and bless the people. And so without this office, Israel cannot live with God. It's not possible. Phil Riken says, The spiritual welfare of the entire nation depended upon the priest's ability to enter God's presence on their behalf with prayer and sacrifice. And so this isn't just an interesting religious ceremony that's taking place. For Israel, this is life and death. This determines whether they get to remain in the presence of God or not. You could argue easily that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for lack of a high priest. There was no one to intervene, intercede, no mediator in a sense between them and holy God. And so they had to be removed. Well, Israel... If they're going to live in the presence of God, this office is absolutely essential. They don't have access to God apart from the high priest. And so God commands Moses to gather the congregation because God is not only doing something for Aaron, he's doing something in front of Israel for Israel. Showing them, pounding a truth home to them. The necessity, the critical necessity of the office of high priest. Well, the miracle of the event is, is um, part of the miracle of, in the, of the event is that the man that God chose to be a high priest wasn't suited to be a high priest. Of course, you could, uh, no one was, was suited, right? No one is without sin, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But Aaron seems to be an unlikely choice. I mean, he's, he's, he's Moses' brother, but Aaron has disqualified himself in a um, really profound way remember so in chapter 29 of Exodus God gives instructions for Aaron's office and Aaron knows it's going to be him God said it's going to be him so that's chapter 29 chapter 32 we find Aaron in his very first priestly function before he's been ordained but sort of flush with uh, his new significance what does he do he leads Israel in the idolatrous, perverse worship of the golden calf. That's Exodus chapter 32. And so his first step out of the gate is this incredible failure. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he comes right to Aaron. What did they do to you that led you to do this? And if you remember Aaron's response, he said, well, you know how wicked these people are. And they came and they we just thought you had died. And so they, they wanted to have a worship service. So I said, well, you know... Give me your gold. And so they did, and I just threw it in the fire, and poof, shazam, out came this calf. At that moment, right, if, if there was just justice, Aaron should have dropped dead, as we're going to see his two sons drop dead in chapter 10 of Leviticus. But God does not uh, destroy Aaron, doesn't judge Aaron. He's rebuked, but here he's, he's made a high priest. Why is this man made a high priest? Interesting. One of the commentators pointed out that the uh, a very very close parallel to, to this would be Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus said, "Peter, you're going to be the rock, and uh, and uh, you're going to be you're going to be my apostle." And, and Peter's first step out of the gate is to say, "May God damn me if I ever knew the man." And yet God chose and continues to use Peter. Why? Well, the point is, of course, that our relationship with God is going to be a relationship of sheer unmerited grace. That's the story of redemption, and that's the context, then, of our story here this morning. Let's look together at the ceremony. Again, as I said, this is uh, in chapter 8 here. It's almost word for word what you read in chapter 29. We're not going to go through it in Exodus 29. I'm not going to go through this chapter verse by verse, but I do want to point out the five major portions uh, of the ceremony so that we can just get it clear in our mind. Um, There's washing, there's clothing, anointing, sacrificing, and eating, eating a meal. And so let's look at those things uh, together. This is a part of now God consecrating Aaron and his sons. To consecrate is to dedicate to the service. So Aaron and his sons are going to be, uh, they're really being made part of the tabernacle furnishings. They belong to God and are holy to God in the same way. The first step is the washing. So Aaron and his sons are brought forward and they are washed because they're dirty. Not physically, but spiritually. This is a sign of, Of uh, what men are like in God's sight and so and so they're ceremonially washed then Aaron is clothed in the specific royal robe of the high priest Uh, you can read Exodus 28 and it'll explain there the very intricate detail God gave for uh, these clothes Just like God gave intricate detail for the tabernacle, now God gives intricate detail for the clothing, and these clothes are now put on Aaron, the high priest. And this clothing, it's very, very beautiful. It's to reflect the beauty of holiness. It's to reflect the status of Aaron as high priest and the fact that he's been set apart for the service of God. Then you have the anointing. Anointing is not something that that we're that familiar with. But it is, uh, it's an act of God where God sets apart a person for a special task. So uh, when God called David to be king, this young boy sends Samuel, Samuel anoints him with oil. Prophets would be anointed. Uh, anointing signifies the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is necessary to, uh, to accomplish the task. So it's an equipping of the Spirit so that they can fulfill the task that they've been called to do. Um, and in this anointing, now notice, it wasn't just Aaron and his sons, but it was everything in the tabernacle. Everything gets anointed. Everything in this, is, in this sense is being consecrated to God. These things all now become sacred things. Boys and girls, if you have toys, and maybe uh, your, your little brother or sister is, are confused about what toys are their toys and what toys are your toys, so maybe you take a, a marker and you put your name on your toys, okay? Designating, these are my toys, devoted to my playing time, right? They belong to me. Well, that's what God is doing in anointing. He's saying, this all belongs to me, sacred things that are mine in a unique and special way. So so the, the tabernacle, the altars, uh, every, the, 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 the laver, and Aaron and his sons, all of it, God says now, belongs to me formally to the worship and service of God they're no longer part of the common world they've been set apart from the common and made holy and then there are three sacrifices that need to be offered the sin offering the burnt offering and a special ordination offering now we've studied the first of these two already so I'm not going to take a lot of time but the sin offering remember is a purification offering a consecration offering and so the bull is, is taken, and, and, and Aaron and his sons put their hands on its head. The bull is, is killed, and uh, it is offered up as a sin offering, a purification offering. Then we have the burnt offering, the offering um, where the whole bull is, is, is put on the altar and the entire bull is consumed, a food offering and belonging entirely to God. Commentators say this is an offering of, of dedication where it, it all goes to God is a sign that we belong to God, and Aaron and his sons now belonging to God, body and soul. And then the special ordination offering representing sanctification. And this time blood is not just splashed up against the altar, but Moses takes blood and puts it on the right earlobe and on the right thumb and the right big toe, the right side being the side of dominance and power. And the, the, the point simply is that the, the tip of the ear is being sanctified now so that the ear can hear the word of the Lord and, 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 and be engaged in the work of the Lord, hear the confessions of the people. This ear now belongs to God. And, and the, the thumb, right, the hand now is sanctified to, to do the sacrifices, to, to offer up the incense, to do the work of God. And the feet are sanctified to walk in holiness. And so the three sacrifices are then performed. And then we have the fifth part, which is a meal. Uh, Aaron and his sons are commanded to stay there in the tent of meeting there in the courtyard and to eat a meal, um, a fellowship meal, where, where Aaron and his sons, in a sense, eat with God. They commune with God, fellowship with God in an intimate setting. This is a visible sign that, uh, of God's full acceptance of Aaron and his sons, now that they have been consecrated and made holy to the Lord. It's a very significant part of the ceremony and then and and this now is to continue if you noted for seven days so you don't just do this and you're done the whole thing uh, happens again tomorrow and then again the next day and then again the next day for seven days it's a big deal it's a lot it's um, it's a whole week why a week well God, in a sense, is beginning a new creation. Seven days, Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in it. Six days, the seventh day he rested. Now we're, going to have a, now we're going to have a week devoted to a new creation as God gathers Israel and is pointing forward to, um, to a new heaven and a new earth as God gathers his people together in Christ. And so that's the ceremony of ordination. What is it, what is his, what's the significance of it? What does it have to, to say to us today as New Testament Christians? Well, you could do entire, uh, another sermon on, on this. Uh, I won't. But two things to highlight. First of all, what it tells us about Jesus. And then secondly, what it tells us about ourselves. First of all, this is bursting with typology pointing uh, to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, remember, these are the shadows. God in the Old Testament, uh, in shadowy form, revealing something about what he's going to do in the fullness of time and in the person of our Lord. So so here we have Aaron as God's uh, anointed, chosen high priest, a critical, critical part of Israel being in in communion with God. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is. He's he's essential, necessary. There is one and only one means If you want to live in the presence of God, there's only one way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the door. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Scripture is absolutely clear about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. If you want to live with God, if you want life, then Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. God will not receive. Now, the Bible might be lying about this, right? The Bible might just be, we could just say, someone would say, well, I don't believe that. Well, okay. But. This is what the message is that we believe has come from God himself on the basis uh, that God says it came from him himself. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This This is not Christians trying just to protect their turf. This is Jesus Christ explaining there's one way into the presence of God and that is through me. Secondly, He's God's unique and only chosen one. So this is my son, Luke 9:35. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the, a cloud descends and a voice booms. "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." God could not be more clear. He expects us to listen to His chosen one, His own son. This is the anointed one, of course, the Messiah uniquely set apart, uniquely filled with the Spirit of God and called to the task of reconciling sinners to God. And Jesus is, uh, so we also have Aaron as a type of Jesus and Aaron as an anti-type. Aaron was not worthy of the office. His sons certainly were not and we're going to see that in, in chapter 10. Jesus is absolutely worthy of his office. Because Jesus has no sin. Jesus doesn't need a Moses to be making sacrifices for him in order to consecrate him. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect man, the man and God, who is worthy to enter into the very most holy place of heaven itself and there to offer a sacrifice that actually removes our sin. This is the wonder of Jesus. What God is setting up in the Old Testament is all pointing forward. The blood of bulls and, 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 and goats cannot take away sin. Jesus can, Jesus does. Is that a truth that you've taken to yourself? I was uh, just reading, uh, this, is, this is in Reichen's commentary about Charles Simeon, a uh, well-known uh, preacher of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. And uh, this is back, uh, I'm not going to have my dates. Old guy, long dead, all right, let's just say that. <clears throat> I don't want to try because I'll get it wrong. Anyhow, when Simeon begins university, he's not a Christian. And uh, the headmaster uh, sends him a note. All students are required to be at Holy Communion back in those days. Well, Simeon panicked. The thought rushed into my mind, he wrote, that Satan himself was as fit to attend there as I, and that if I must attend, I must prepare for my attendance. He has enough sense to recognize this is it's kind of this is a holy thing. You don't want to just show up. You need to get ready for this. You're going to meet with God. And so he picks up a book called The Whole Duty of Man and begins reading it, crying out for mercy. And he says, uh, he writes this. In Passion Week, as I was reading Bishop Wilson on the Lord's Supper, I read something to this effect, that the Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. They put their their hand on the head. And the thought rushed into my mind, What? May I transfer all my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on His head? Then God willing, I will not bear them on my own soul one moment longer. Accordingly, I sought to lay my sins on the sacred head of Jesus. And from that hour, flowed in rich abundance into my soul, peace flowed into my soul, Uh, in rich abundance into my soul, and I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. Have you done that? In your heart, in your soul, your mind, consciously and intentionally, in prayer, took your sin, your guilt, your shame, and laid it on the head of Jesus, asking Jesus to be your sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice that washes away all of your sin. The the sacrifice that robes you in clean garments so that you can enter into the presence of God. Have you done that? If you've never done that, well, I plead with you to do so. It's necessary to be a Christian. You're not a Christian just by doing Christian things. You're, You're a Christian by taking your guilt... And by faith in what Jesus has said, come to me, call on my name, confess your sins, and you in faith then place your sin, your guilt on the head of Jesus Christ, believing the word that they are all in Christ and by Christ washed away. If you've never done that, I plead with you to do it. You cannot be a Christian apart from it. That's called saving faith. And what happens then to you? What is your new identity as a Christian? Well, you become a priest of God. That's uh, in 1 Peter 2. We are a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 20. We are priests of God and of His Christ. To be a Christian means that you're a priest. And you've gone through the, 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 the consecration ceremony. Just like Aaron was washed, you've been washed. Paul says that specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, don't uh, don't be confused. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he talks about sexually immoral and and greedy people and uh, um, angry people and uh, he just lists robbers, lists a whole whole list there. He says, they're not going to enter the kingdom of God and such were some of you. In other words, thieves and and robbers, uh, thieves and and adulterers and and liars uh, and... uh, Every manner of sinner can enter the kingdom of God if you're washed. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We've been washed. We've been clothed with the garments of priesthood. What is that? Well, Paul says in Galatians 3.27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've been robed in Jesus Christ, the righteousness and beauty of Jesus. You've been anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a few weeks ago. John says this in 1 John 2.20, you've been anointed by the Holy One. Every Christian is a Spirit-filled, anointed child of God, consecrated then, set apart for the service of God. This means, friends, we don't belong to the world. Now, I know that you've heard that phrase a hundred times, a thousand times. Let it sink in. It means that we've been called apart from just living your normal American West Michigan middle class life. God has blessed us with these things, but none of them are our life. Our life is to live as chosen, clothed, washed, anointed people who belong to God in West Michigan. We're holy to the Lord as The temple of God. That that has to impact what you listen to, what you watch, what you say, what you think, what you do, where your priorities are, how you spend your money and your time. It all belongs to Him. It all matters to Him. You belong to God as much as anything in the Old Testament temple because you've been made the New Testament temple. You are the place where God dwells. Holy is written on your forehead. The the, the, the headband that the high priest would put on read, Holy to the Lord. That's on your forehead. Boys and girls, that was placed on your forehead when you were baptized. Holy to the Lord. You belong to God. You're called to his service, you're heirs with his son. You're not just a normal person wasting your life on the assembly line of this world. You are a priest of God and you've been invited to a meal with God. This is a table, this is a meal that God gives to us as a sign, a visible sign of God's full acceptance of everyone who's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and consecrated to be a priest. And God invites you then, if, if, if that's you, if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, God invites you this morning to a priestly meal where we sit down and we commune with our God, looking forward to all that is yet to come. And let these truths and this meal, friends, seal the reality of who you are as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, then I just beg with you, to make that right, make yourself right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ as you confess your sin. We ask this morning that uh, that those who come, we invite you to come. If you're a member of, of, of the the Church of Jesus Christ, you've submitted to the elders of Jesus Christ, and you're seeking to walk in a Christian life. If you if if you're living in unrepentant sin, well, don't take the holy things of God lightly. If you're living in unrepentant sin, friend, today would be a time to let the table let the, let the elements pass and. Take time to think about where you are with God and to repent. But let's let these truths that we just read about, heard about, let's let these truths become the realities that transform our life. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, we were amazed that you would call us to be your priests, that you would call us to the holy service of worship and adoration. We're amazed, Lord, for we are sinners, every single one of us, and justly deserving condemnation. Father, I thank you that you've gathered us together to show us the beauty of Jesus and, and the wonder of what it means to belong to him. And Father, I, I pray that uh, we would be serious about the things of God today, serious with, with, with joy, uh, but Lord, that these, these things would be evidently holy to us as we participate in the table of the Lord this morning. I pray, Lord, we could do so with, with, with gladness as those who've been washed in the robe of Christ, in, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, if there are any here who have not yet, Lord, come to Christ and laid their sins on the head of Jesus, that, Lord, today would be a day where they're, um, they would do so by the power of the Holy Spirit and be saved. We thank you, Lord, for this, this moment and ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen.